what I want to talk to you about today is we're going to talk about this third component of what our church is all about. And that's, uh, we, we've, we've talked about extending God's kingdom. Last week, we talked about loving God continually. And we started this series called an EVC Family Christmas. And what we've been doing is about once a year, what we do is we come back and we revisit what our church is all about. What is our purpose of our church? And we wanted to be certain that as a church family, that we're all on the same page, that we're all headed in the same direction, and uh, that we're living with the same set of expectations as a church family, that we know the direction that we're going in. And, you know, the way that we know that we're being successful as a church is not how many people are in attendance on Sunday mornings. We love for people to come. We love for people to join us. And we love the fact that we have three different services that have people in them and that we're growing every week and seeing more and more people come and be a part of Eagles View Church. That's really important to us. But what is most important to us is that we are, as individuals within the context of our church family, living out our purposes. That we're not only living them out as a church corporately, but that you as a believer are living these purposes out uh, as individuals, that that you're doing these things. Now, let's just revisit what our purpose is again. And we, we say this all the time because we want you to understand it. We want to be on the same page. So if you can, if, if we go to the next slide there, we know this, that we are about extending God's kingdom. Okay, let's read these out loud together. Will you say them out loud with me? We are about what? We are about extending God's kingdom. We're about loving God continually, and we're about what? Connecting with one another. Let's say them out loud again. We're about extending God's kingdom, loving God continually, and connecting with one another. Now, in the first week, Pastor Randy talked to you about us being about extending the kingdom of God, that we are to be about doing that both locally and we're also to be about doing that globally, both locally and globally. And we need to do this by advancing the gospel message, by, by planting churches, by sharing the good news of Jesus with people all over the world. And we also do that by not only meeting spiritual needs, but we know this, God has called us to meet physical needs as well. That we're called to meet both spiritual and physical needs. By the way, church, thank you again for responding to our call uh, for coats and blankets and clothes. Uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember which day it was. I think it was Tuesday. Pastor Randy and I were able to take a trailer load full of, of those things down to the Baptist Rescue Mission that we partner with in, in downtown Fort Worth. We had probably over a hundred bags of those things again of clothes. And guys, thank you for responding because that is part of our purpose is extending the kingdom of God. It's hard to tell someone about the gospel message of Jesus if they're cold, right? And so we want to be sure that they have coats and that they have blankets and that those that have clothes or don't have the clothing that they need, that they have clothes. And so you responded, many of you responded to that, and many of those coats probably went out already this weekend. We talked to you last week about loving God continually, and we explained what this is really all about is what we call a lifestyle of worship. That it's not about us just coming together one time a week. It's a lifestyle. It's your life being lived as an expression of worship in every single thing that you do. It's not a Sunday morning experience. This is only one component of our worship is us coming together and us expressing our love to God through song and through the reading of his word. That's only one part of it. 
But if that's your only worship experience all throughout the week, then you're missing it. God has called you to live your life as a life of worship. Now, the key word in that is continually. And that's what we want you to, to, to notice is this word continually. It's as Romans 12 says, it's presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, not just Sunday morning, not just for 25 minutes during the, the time of music or whatever. It's your bodies. It's your lives as a living sacrifice. You know, the rest of that says this is your reasonable act of service, or this is what true worship looks like. And you may be thinking, well, what do these things have to do with Christmas? How do these things all fit in? Well, as we looked at the Christmas story, we could see this theme over and over again about what our purposes as a church are. When Jesus came down, whenever he became incarnate as a man, this was God's extension of his kingdom to us. And now the kingdom of God lives within us. Those who are born again, the kingdom of God, scripture tells us, dwells within us. And we're called as God was light to us. Now we are called to be light to the rest of the world, to all people everywhere. Last week, we looked at different expressions of worship found in the Christmas story. We found that the shepherds worship with urgency and with priority. And in response, we encouraged you and exhorted you to make the worship of your king during this busy time of year to make that something that you don't skip over, that it's something that is important to you and is a priority in your life. Uh, we, we saw that Mary, the, the word of God told us that Mary sat and she treasured these things and pondered these things in her heart. And so she, she worshiped with quiet reflection. We encouraged you to, to read God's word, to sit quietly every single day and to think about what God has done in your life. We encouraged you, if you don't know how to do that, to go to, if you have you version on your phone or at your, at your, uh, if you have internet service or, or just opening your Bible, uh, maybe if you go to you version, you can, you can look at the, the, the part of that Bible app that's called rediscovering the Christmas season. We encourage you to make a commitment. That's a 25 day reading plan to where every single day you sit and you think about what this Christmas season really is all about. We also saw in the scriptures that there were a group of powerful men from the East. They were called Magi. And these men who were powerful, uh, incredibly powerful men came very humbly and they offered extravagant financial gifts to the Christ child. We saw that they came bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and that each of those had a significance in that offering. And, and in response, because we don't just want to give you a bunch of Bible knowledge, we want you to respond to the word of God. What we're going to do next Sunday is we're going to be bringing our financial gifts to Jesus, the Christ child. We're calling this our first gift. God gave us his very first and he gave us, his, gave us his very best. And we encourage you to take one of these boxes last Sunday. If you weren't here, you can still pick them up uh, and take them home. We encourage you to place it somewhere prominently in your home. If you have children, to encourage your children to get involved in this. And then what we're doing is, a, uh, and this is not going towards a church budget. It's not going to pay off our property on Bailey Boswell. 
we felt led that 100% of what comes in as a gift to the Christ child, because we know this is close to the heart of God, is going to go back out into missions. It's going to go into church planting. It's going to go into uh, clothing those that need clothes and meeting physical needs, our work in Honduras. It's going to go into building schools there in Honduras and drilling water wells and all those things. 100% of that is going back out. My kids are going to be getting involved in this is they're going to be making personal sacrifices. It's not just daddy's going to be writing a check and they get to put the box down here on the front. It's going to be every member of our family is going to be involved in that. We encouraged you to consider uh, making a first gift to God. We're going to deliver those next week. We're going to lay these at the altar as a part of our service. And so we want to be about these things, extending the kingdom of God, loving God continually And this week, I want to talk to you about this important component of our purpose. It's not last on the list because it has any less importance. In fact, it's all of these are incredibly, uh, they are incredibly connected. You see, uh, I mean, you can look and you can see that you love God continually, right? Whenever you extend the kingdom of God, you love God continually whenever you love on other people and you're connected with other people. Pastor Randy led you through this connection survey. And the reason that he led you through this survey is that we as your pastors take it very seriously that you feel like you are a part of a family. It is important to us that you feel like you are a part of a family. Another way of looking at our purpose is you could say we're about reaching out to others. We're about reaching up to God. And then this is what we're going to talk about today. We're about reaching in one to another. Guys, we need each other. The reason, again, we did this survey is is that if you're not connected or you don't feel connected, we as your pastors who love you very much and realize how important it is that you be connected to a a body, uh, to the body of Christ, it's our desire for you to feel connected to the body of Christ. We know this, that you're not made to do life alone. You need people within your life. I need people in my life. We need each other. The scripture is very clear about this. And if you're not connected or you're struggling in getting connected or you're struggling with this, um, we don't want to sweep that under the rug and pretend like that's not something that's going on. We want to take that head on. We want to know, and, and if there are things that we find that there are areas where maybe there's criticism or whatever, we take that very seriously because it's not something that we just want to say, well, you know, we're, we're just not going to listen to that or whatever. We want you to be a part of the family. It's our desire. The reason that it matters to us is because it matters to the heart of God. It matters to us as your pastors because this is what is important to the heart of God. People matter. People are important to us. Now, you need to know that your pastors are very limited in their ability to be able to connect with everybody as we continue to grow. That's why it's important for you to be connecting with other members of the body. We want to be connected to as many of you as we can, mostly, okay? And uh, I say that jokingly, all right? Mostly jokingly, okay? We want to be connected to as many of you as we can, but it's But it's difficult for us as our church continues to grow for us to be able to see uh, and, and, and minister to every single person. That's why it's important for us to be living in ministry one to another. We need each other. Every part of the body of Christ is important. We want to be certain that you do not view church as a place simply that you come to. 
or a place or, or an event that just happens weekly. What we want to be sure you understand about church is that, um, is that it's a living organism is that it's something that is alive. And, and because it's living, it's either healthy or it's not healthy. We want to be a healthy church. We know we're not a perfect church. We know we will never be a perfect church, but we want to be improving constantly. We want to be connected to one another. We want you to feel like you're a part of something, a part of something very special that is the bride of Christ. You know, the bride of Christ is important to Jesus, right? It needs to be important to us. So from the very beginning of our, of our church, our premise has been the best way for us to help you uh, connect in some way is for you to connect with other believers. We, we call that our life groups. And, and to be able to get in, and there are all kinds of life groups. There's not any one formula that works perfectly. There are all kinds of ways for you to connect in different kinds of groups with other believers. We also want to be sure because we know that you can also connect through doing ministry to the the body of Christ. So uh, all these things are important because you have the opportunity to live out your faith when you're being a blessing to someone else. You see, what we have got to have in our churches is so much more than just simply coming to an event inside of a set of walls and looking at the back of someone else's head while you listen to a guy talk to you about what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. That's not what church is supposed to be about. Church is supposed to be about us living this out. What I just described a second ago, you know this, that's not going to change your life, is it? Just coming to a place uh, occasionally, maybe a couple times a month, or maybe for some of you every single week. It could even be every time the doors are open. But if you're not engaging with other people, and you're not engaging with God as you engage with other people, uh, this is one of the things that's left so many people disillusioned with church to begin with. Because they don't feel like anybody cares. They don't feel like anybody really even knows their name. And people will say, well, that, that I did that as a kid and it never changed my life. Uh, you know, that's why I don't think that I need this today. And they're right. It won't change their life. They need people. They need people that genuinely care. And that's why we say unapologetically with, with, uh, with this is that our expectation is this, as your pastors, is that if you're, if you're a part of EVC, is that you at least begin to make an effort. You see, we can't make you do this. We can't make you get connected. But that you at least begin to make an effort to get to know a few other people. You know, you're not going to know everybody in our church, again, as we continue to grow. Certain weeks we'll have 450 here on a Sunday morning. Certain weeks we'll have 650. You're not going to know every one of those persons. But it's important that you know some. It's important that you begin to build relationships with some of them. You know, I was thinking the other day, it's kind of funny that it actually takes the Christmas season to put us, for lack of better terminology, in the mood for being nice to each other, right? I mean, it kind of takes the Christmas season to remind us to do good things to one another, to have goodwill toward men. It's kind of like it plays out like this, as if uh, Black Friday's over, I've pushed everyone else down to get the stuff that I need for my family and for me. All right, December 1st rolls around, and from December 1 through December 25, well, since it's Christmas, I guess I might ought to be nice to some people, okay? And, and it's funny because it really often happens kind of like that. 
You know, it's interesting to me because the Christmas spirit, so to speak, it does affect people in the sense that we have so many people that come to us as, as their pastors that have a sense of, of wanting to serve other people. That Christmas kind of awakens that and we're thankful for that. You know, we have people that come to us and they want to help others financially. You know, in case, I mean, it's in many cases, it's like this. It's when De- December 26th, though, rolls around. It's kind of like all bets are off now, Jack. I got to take care of myself and my family. But between December 1st and December 25th, well, I might help some other people. I might be nice to some other people. And so this is kind of the way that, that, that often many look at this. And maybe you don't specifically think that this is what you do. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm glad the Christmas season kind of awakens this loving others. But what we know is this, is that same kind of Christmas spirit uh, and those who maybe are not prone to generosity or prone to serving others, it's not just meant for a 25-day period. It's something that's meant to be lived out every single day. The reason that Jesus came, that we're remembering, that we're celebrating during this month, is so that we would have the gospel of peace within our lives, so that we would have God's love and his grace and his mercy and his joy, and in horrible times like what we saw over the course of this weekend, his comfort So that we would have that not just in one month, but that we would have it every single day of the year. That that would be something that we experience. It's not something that we want to call the Christmas spirit, but it's something that I think the word of God calls the Christian spirit. Living our faith out, not just temporarily out out of a few weeks of the year, but being a spirit-filled believer every single day. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to point you to the scripture found in Romans chapter 12 today. Let's look at this for a few minutes and let's break this passage down. What Paul is going to do is Paul is going to give us some imperatives on how to live as a Christian. Now that you have experienced this grace of God, in other words, there are things now that God expects us to do in response to his grace. As you know, just the first 11 chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes in depth about our Christian faith. He writes in depth about what it means to experience salvation by grace through faith. That we come to faith in Christ. That we are made right in relationship or what the scripture calls being justified with God. That we are sealed as a believer. We cannot lose that salvation. Whereas scripture says we were enemies of God. And now because of Jesus coming into the world. And and again, why we celebrate Christmas. Him coming, reconciling uh, sinners back to himself. Now we are called friends of God. We move from being enemies of God to friends of God. Now, in this passage of Romans, there's this great hinging moment that takes place in chapter 12. By the way, uh, as you know, in the, in the original uh, scripture, in the original writings, there were no numbers there as far as chapters and verse. It was all written as one big letter. We've broken those down so it's easier for us to be able to, to know how to tell you to go, go to this chapter, go to this verse. And, and so there, there, there was not any chapter and verse here. It all flows together. And and so what happens is the first 11 chapters move from being deeply theological. Now it's going to move to deeply practical. 
Now, this is your response to everything that, that Paul has been teaching about this amazing grace that we experience in Christ. And this is what your response should be. It's a very practical section. It's very easy to understand. In fact, I would tell you this morning, there's very little I can do to contribute to the understanding of this text because it's so absolutely obvious. All I can really do this morning for you is just embellish it a little bit and then exhort you a little bit, encourage you a little bit. Okay, you know this stuff. I know this stuff. Now let's go live it. Now let's go make it a part of our everyday life. That's what we want to be about this morning. So the way that you can look at this in Christmas terms would be Christ came into the world as a gift to save me. And now in worship, here is my response to him. And my life is now a gift back to him. That's my loving God continually. And so I want to exhort you this morning in living this out. Let's talk about, you've probably read Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 a million times. Many of you have read it over and over. Many of you have it memorized by heart. We looked at it last week where, where we, we talked about here that, that God has, has saved us and now we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is what true worship looks like. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And now let's pick up in verse 3, okay? So here's what the Word of God says. Paul writes this. He says, For by the grace given to me, it was a gift, right? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, this is so important that we catch this, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, it's interesting that he starts off with this because he's about to start talking about the body of Christ. He's about to start talking about how the body of Christ is to work together. And he's saying, as you're working together, that none among you should think of yourself more highly than you, than you ought to there. And, and he says, but instead, think with sober judgment. Another way of saying that is, think of yourself with honest assessment. Look at this and honestly assess where you fit into the body of Christ. Think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that, and now what does it say? That God has assigned. Now, I want you to notice that God has made assignments to you in the body of Christ. He has given you assignments. He's given you assignments that you're to carry out in ministry one to another. And so if God's giving the assignment, that's something that you want to follow through with, right? God has given you the assignment, not your pastor's. God has given you an assignment to minister to the rest of the body. Now look at what he says in verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Now look at verse 5. So we, though many, and, and we will be many this morning throughout three different services, for we, though many, are, what does the word of God say? Read it with me out loud. What does it say? It says, we are one body in Christ. Say that again with me. We are one body in Christ. Now look at what it also says. And individually, so individually, you're an individual this morning. You've been gifted differently than others among us. We are individually members one of another. Now notice that this has everything to do with connecting with one another. I mean, this is what this is talking about. It's connecting here with one another. Do you know what this is saying? It's saying that we actually, we belong to each other. We belong to each other as a family. 
Uh, we belong to one another. That's why he's saying, and individually, we are members one of another. I was trying to explain to my kids the other day about being one body, that we're one body kind of as a, as a family, but we're also one body as a church and, and as kids will often do, and some very mature, uh, immature people. My kids wanted to know who the rear end was, okay, within the church family. And I said there were several names that kind of came to mind. I wasn't exactly sure. I said it was probably me, okay, that it would probably be me. And now if you look at verse 6, so look, let's read on. It says, now here's what we have. Having gifts that differ according to the grace, and I want you to notice the terminology, given. Do you see gift again? It's a gift that's been given. Uh, and so he says, according to this, um, uh, this gift that is, has been given, the grace given to us. Now, I want everybody to read the next part with me out loud. Everybody say it with me, okay? What does he say? And let us do what? Let us use them. And that's what's a shame is so often they go unused. And we often just come and we sit and we look at others, the back of their heads, as Pastor Randy puts it. And we listen to a guy talk, depending upon which week it's going to be. He's saying, no, let's function as a body. Let's use these. And, and then he's just going to begin to name some of these in prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service in, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes how in generosity, by the way, we're all called to give, as we know the scripture teaches, and be generous. But there are some of you that God has blessed with this ability to give extravagantly. And you're incredibly generous. And you love to give to people, okay? And you love to give to others, those that are hurting. He goes on, the one who leads, let him lead with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy. This is kindness to those who are hurting. Um, let him do that with cheerfulness. There are some of you that you are just incredibly gifted at helping those who are going through a hard time and comforting them, in coming alongside them. There are some of you that are not gifted at that, okay? And, uh, and you may complicate it even further. But he's saying, as you understand the way in which you're gifted, he says, use those things. Use those to minister to the rest of the body. Be connected with the rest of the body. So these first 11 chapters, what he's going to talk about is how to be saved. He's going to talk about how to be saved. And then in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he calls for total commitment. He calls, calls for discipleship. He calls for you laying your life down in worship and following Christ in every single part. We often say around here that salvation costs you nothing. It's free. It costs Jesus everything. It's a free gift. Discipleship, though, costs you everything, right? It costs you your life. So when you're going to follow Christ, it's going to cost you everything. And so what we see is he calls us now to use our gifts as a blessing to the rest of the body. It's about connecting with one another, living out your faith. That's why this is such a big part of our purpose as a church. That's why it's such a big part of, of uh, and why we revisit this on a regular basis, because it's critical to the health of our church family. Church, we cannot as your pastors reiterate this to you enough that God doesn't want you just to come to a one time a week event. God wants you to do life with other believers. He wants you to experience life surrounded by other believers. When you look in the, in the new Testament and you look at the first century church, when you look in the book of acts, the very first church, do you know what you find a group of people doing life together? 
The Bible says they met together in each other's homes. It says they worshiped together. They prayed for one another. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that when they saw needs that one another had, they met those needs. Sometimes they even sold their possessions to be able to help another brother in Christ who was at, at a hard point in their life. They met one another's needs. They were doing life together. And what this requires, it requires a genuine kind of love. So Paul starts with this grocery list of things. They're really, it's not really outline friendly. I'll just tell you as a pastor trying to outline this, it's not very outline friendly, but that's okay. It's the word of God. We will just break it down. He starts in verse nine and and it's like this. You can think of it as Paul kind of drawing this circle. He's starting with this target and it's in the middle of the target. It's, it's you. Okay. And he's starting with the individual in relationship with God. And now this circle just kind of keeps widening and the circle is going to begin to embrace another category or another group of ideas about the Christian way of living. But it all starts with this key thought. Now here is the main thing I want you to write down today. If you don't write anything else down today, this is your one key thought for today. Here's what it is, is that God calls us to show genuine, authentic love Now, that's redundant there, but I'll show you why here in just a minute. A genuine or an authentic love for one another in the context of church family. God calls us to show genuine, authentic love for one another in the context of church family relationships, okay? It's not a new thought. As I told you, I wouldn't be giving you some new amazing thought that you're going out here going, wow, I never had even thought of that before or ever heard. In fact, it's something that you're going, I already know this, okay? I I pray that you do already know it. What I really pray is that you're living it, is that you are living out what God has called you to do here, okay? So look at verse nine with me. Let's just keep working through the scripture. Look at what he's going to say. And I'm going to ask you to read this out loud with me. Let's say it out loud together, church. Uh, In verse 9, he says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Okay? So what he's saying here when he says let love be genuine is let your love one for another, let it be without hypocrisy. Isn't hypocrisy one of the things that just drives people away from churches? I mean, right? Amen? Are you guys with me this morning? I mean, and for some of you, it was one of the reasons why maybe you didn't want to go to church or maybe you know people. I, I guarantee you, you probably at least know someone that says, I don't want to go be a part of a church because I can't stand all the hypocrisy. I can't stand the hypocrites. I can't stand being around that. That's why it's imperative that we love each other with a genuine kind of love. He says, let us love each other in a genuine way. He goes on and he says, let us abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. What is the dominant characteristic of what a Christian's life should be about? If you look all throughout the scriptures, it's love, right? Love for God. And as Pastor Randy said, love for people. We love God. We love people. Jesus, in fact, said this. To his disciples, he said in John 13, 34, read it with me out loud. He, he said this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus said, yeah, you're going to be telling people about me, but let me tell you another way that people know about my love. It's the way you treat each other. It's the way you love one another. And so he says this genuine, authentic kind of love. First Corinthians tells us there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. And then Paul says, and the greatest of all these is what? Say it with me, church. It's, it's love. 
He said, it's the greatest of all these gifts. It's the mark of a, of a believer is the way that they love one another. The mark of a true believer is how they love each other. And he says, it's a, it's a kind of love that is without deceit. It's not two-faced. It's, it's not hypocritical. It's authentic. It's real. It's as I was saying, Pastor Randy and I, we're friends. We're not only uh, colleagues, but we're friends. We enjoy being around each other most of the time, okay? And, uh, and, and, and not that we can't disagree about things or whatever, but we have a deeper bond than our professional relationship. And you know what that bond is? It's Christ Jesus. It's Jesus who binds us together. Now, he says, abhor what is evil. You know what this means? This is a strong hatred for sin. Hate what God hates. He said, does God hate something? You bet he does. You know what God hates? He hates things that hurt people. Look at this. If you look in Proverbs, it even very expressly says what God hates. In Proverbs 6, 16, he says, there are six things that the Lord, say it with me, church, the Lord does what? He hates. Well, that's a strong word, isn't it? Six things that God hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And here is what those things are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. We saw that over the weekend, right? God hates that. He goes on, he says, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. That's speaking of injustice there. Okay, and then read the last part of this with me out loud. And one who does what? Sows discord among the brothers. God hates that. He hates it. There's a common thing in all of these theme and all of these things that God hates. And you know what it is? It's an evil treatment of our fellow man. God despises it whenever there's pride one with uh, another. He despises it and he hates it when we lie to each other or when we shed innocent blood or when there is an injustice because we have borne false witness or when we're a schemer or a manipulator and we're quick to run to do things that are evil. And I noticed this, and we often would think that this wouldn't be something that would be that big of a deal, but Scripture says God hates Hates it whenever there's a sowing of discord among fellow believers. He hates it when there's gossip, when there's slander, when there's backbiting. The scripture is clear that God hates this kind of behavior. Why do you think he hates it? Because it hurts people and God loves people. God loves people and whenever this kind of behavior is going on, it hurts people. So, so Paul, in this practical uh, message, as he's moved from theological to practical, what he calls you to is he calls you to hate evil, to hate what God hates, to love in a genuine kind of way. It goes without saying that if you hate sowing discord among fellow believers, if God hates that and you hate it, you're not going to be a part of it. As it so often happens in many churches that people will gossip about one another. Or they'll talk about each other. If you hate those kinds of things because God hates them, you're not going to be a part of it whenever people talk about each other. You're not you're going to put a stop to it. You're going to be someone that protects the family of God because it hurts other people. And it's and, and, and it's without a genuine kind of love that Paul says that is needed. He says in verse nine, he says not only to abhor or hate evil, he says, stick like glue to what is good. 
The way that this reads in the original language is it's, it's cling to, cling to what is good. If you go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and, and I don't have time to develop this further today, but simply put, it's love one another genuinely, hate the things that God hates, and cling to the things that are very good. Now, that's the first phase of this circle of connecting with one another. It starts with what's going on in our own hearts. And that's just kind of what's around us there. And then there are, these are things that should be true in our lives. We love genuinely. We hate evil. We stick to what is good. And now as we come to verse 10, the circle is going to widen a little bit more to encompass another dimension of what our love is supposed to look like as a family of God. All right, now he's going to expound on this further. This is how we are to connect with one another. This is how that fleshes out. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And here's what he says. In fact, read verse 10 with me out loud, will you? He says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in doing what? Showing honor, okay? Now I'll read the rest of this. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. I'm not going to focus on that today. Do not be slothful in your zeal. That's your zeal for service. Be fervent in spirit. That's using your gifts. Don't be lazy. He's saying, get involved, serve the Lord, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Okay. And who was he talking about serving in our service earlier? Serving one another. Okay. Now he's going to say, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Read verse 13 with me out loud, church. Let's say it out loud because it's back to the family of God here. Contribute to the need of the saints and seek to show what? Hospitality. Contribute to the need of the saints. Now go back with me to verse 10. Look back up at verse 10 and what verse 10 says. He says, love each other with what? With a brotherly affection. Now, I'll just, I'll just have a couple of moments here. Let me break this down for you, okay? This is the first of these statements regarding the wider circle which embraces the Christian family. This word brotherly affection is actually one word. It's broken into two words here because that's how the English, it reads in the English. But in the original language in the Greek, it's actually one word. It's a very interesting word and it's a rich kind of word whenever you understand it properly. Here's what it, it's a combination of these words forming one word and it's kind of a compound word here. And the most accurate way to translate this would be this way, be lovingly loving. Okay. That's what, that really the way it comes across be lovingly loving. All right. What you have is there's this richness in the redundancy of this. Paul is trying to really get this across as he's led by the Holy Spirit. The two words are philos, and, and this word philos, or phileo, which is where we get Philadelphia, the, the city of, of, now watch it, okay, you cowboy fans, watch it, okay, the city of brotherly, what, love, okay, that's what that means. Uh, what, what is that? That is a warm, affectionate kind of love. It's a brotherly kind of love. Many of you, maybe you grew up with brothers and you said, uh, we didn't have a warm affection. We fought, okay? And, and, but I bet you probably, if you could fight with your brother, but nobody else better mess with your brother, right? Okay? And there was this protective kind of love. Now, the second part of this is the word storge. And storge actually means a natural family kind of love, a familial kind of love. It's the same kind of word that Paul used in 2 Timothy, this word philostorge, when he said in the last days, people will be without natural affection. In other words, even family relationships will break down and people won't love each other in a normal, natural kind of way that families should love each other. So philostorge, combine these words together. It's a natural kind of love, 
Not a word that's induced by desire or induced by beauty or an attractive personality, but it's a natural kind of kindred love. And then he goes on and in a redundant way, he says, love each other with that kindred love, but let it be warm and affectionate. Let it be real. Let it be genuine. Love each other in a a lovingly loving kind of way is what he's saying. So we ought to be marked by a natural love that we share with all the believers. And I, I hope, I really hope and I pray And that's why we've done this survey is that you have experienced that. And if you haven't, we want to help you. We want to come alongside you. We want you to be a part of a family. If not our family, then then maybe some family of God in our community if you live here. Our, Our goal is not to build a bigger church. Our goal is to build a healthy church. A church that's strong in their relationships, strong in their relationship with God, strong in their relationship. And I'm going to tell you something, church. If you have a church that genuinely loves each other and it's real, do you know that there are people that will be kicking the doors down to be a part of something like that? Amen? Because people are hurting They are hurting. People are hurting. People are alone. People are going through difficulties in their life. And they need someone to come alongside them and to love them. And if you have a place, as Jesus said, they will know you by by the love that you have one for another. They will know you follow me because you love each other the way that I have loved you. He said people, people are attracted to that. They want to be a part of that. You know, I've experienced this in this church on many occasions, but I've I've never experienced it more than this last year. When our family, as many of you know, we went through loss and we went through tragedy in our family as as we lost my brother-in-law. And as I've watched my sister-in-law deal with that and and try to be strong for her children. And I'm trying to be a, a, you know, a a figure, a, a male, strong male figure in their life. You know what we have found is that we have found a church family that has come up and has undergirded us and has supported us and has loved us, not just because I'm the pastor, but because I'm a brother. And that's what we've experienced. And the other day, about two weeks ago, I went to uh, Baylor uh, over Baylor Hospital over in Dallas, and that's where my brother-in-law was really a year ago to this time of year, a year ago. That's where we were at most of our time as he was battling cancer and going through all of this. And, and I was just having this flood of emotions just fill me as I walked down those same halls as I was going over to visit Malcolm and Jill Mullinax as Malcolm uh, is going through his stem cell transplants and all of this is going on right now. And I was over there and I had all of these emotions that were filling me up. But one of the things that I couldn't help but think is I watched family after family battling with cancer, battling with illness, battling with tragedy in their life. I couldn't help but think, God, I hope they know you as their savior. And God, I hope they have some people around them the way that we did. Because I don't know how people make it. This deal that happened over the weekend... That's what I've been praying all weekend is, God, I hope that people will come to know you through this. It's not an explainable kind of thing. It's evil. Evil is in this world. It's a broken, messed up, jacked up world that needs Jesus, right? And I also was praying, and God, help the churches up there. Help the churches to to come alongside this brokenness that these people are feeling and this emptiness, 
as they are in a place of going, where do we go next? What do we do? I kept reading over and over again. They don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. I don't know that I would know how to do that if something like that happened to my kids, you know? And I've just been praying, and I hope that you'll make this your prayer. God, help these people who are, who are believers to reach out right now like they never have before. God, they, they need to see a genuine kind of love. You know, um, my kids are getting to the age where they're saying, Dad, don't talk about us as much as you do, okay? You talk about us from the pulpit. Can you kind of calm that down a little bit? And so I sought their permission about this one, okay? I went and told them that, hey, Dad, Dad saw something that I just I want to share, and this is what I want to share with our church because it's really important because I saw this kind of genuine love occur, and this is what it looks like. We were having dinner, as I wrap this up, we were having dinner, um, or excuse me, lunch about two or three Sundays ago, and as we were sitting there together, I noticed something was bothering Luke. Luke is my 16-year-old, and, and I could tell he was bothered by something. And so I kept kind of probing that a little bit and asking him, are, you know, are you okay, Luke? What's going on? You don't seem yourself or whatever. And, and I also noticed this, that my son and my daughter, who is 10, uh, they get like this where they were just incredibly short with each other. I mean, there is a, I mean, they just snapped with each other to anybody else's kids. I mean, you say one thing and it's bam, they are all over the other one. And I was noticing this going on. And so Hope and I said, hey, 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 calm down. And Luke was jumping on Trinity and Trinity was jumping on Luke. And I said, let's, let's calm this down. Guys, it is important to me as your dad and as your mother that you love each other. And I know you're not always going to get along, and I know you're not always going to agree, but that you at least show some decency to one another, okay? Well, at that moment, um, Luke started opening up that there was something that was bothering him. You hurt when you see your kids go through something, right? And so he started sharing with me that he had had a couple kids that were just being mean to him at school. Man, high school is a hard time, isn't it? People can just be mean. And, and that he was struggling with that. And he, I asked him every day how was school, you know, but he just had been holding that in. And he said, that's why I've been kind of just short with everybody right now. He said, I've just taken it out on others. Dad, I'm sorry. And he got emotional. We got emotional with him because we hurt seeing our son hurt, you know. And so we started talking to him. I asked Trinity to leave. While Trinity left, she went and because she saw her brother hurting, she went and she wrote him a note. Now, they were just fighting like two seconds before this, okay? And I, I, I asked permission, but I want to show you the note. Is I'm going to have to pray here in a second, but I have to show you this note. She wrote this. Luke went in after we prayed with him, after we said we will help you. You know, you, I mean, we affirmed him in so many different ways, and he felt so much better. And just, you know, Luke, people are just mean sometimes. You're, we live in a broken, messed up world. People can be mean. That's why you're called to be light, okay? And this is where our faith is played out when people are ugly and mean. And so Trinity goes in and she writes this note and it says on the front, it says, from Trinity to Luke, and look at the big, I'm sorry. And then she writes here, please open it as if he would not know to open it, okay? All right, so I don't know if she was being a smart aleck with that or what, but... And then it says, and I'm going to read it, and I asked her permission. You probably can't see it, but she wrote, and Luke goes in, and he brings this to me because he was so moved by it. Seriously. And it says, Dear Luke, I feel like I have hurt your feelings pretty bad. 
I'm very sorry about it. I, I really love you too much to hurt you so bad. It wasn't intentional to hurt your feelings like this. There's some redundancy there, okay? She realized she'd hurt him. And she goes on and she says, I really feel bad about it. And then she says this, I hope that when we grow up, that we will have a better relationship than we've been having now. Maybe you've had a bad week and I just made it worse. I hope that you can forgive me for what I've done. I love you so much. Love, Trinity. I'm sorry. And then she drew a picture of them holding hands. And Luke and I laughed about how freakishly large his head was (laughs) and how she has a shrunken head. And it's funny that she felt the need to identify you and me as if Luke would be wearing a dress and having a, uh, a ponytail. But I, I, I went back to Trinity and I told her, I pulled her aside and where I'd gotten, I said, Trinity, I want you to know that as your dad, I, you have done incredible things, singing in choirs, doing your athletics, doing all these things, you know, you, but as your dad, I have never been more pleased with you and proud of you. And in the way that you have treated your brother, that fills me with joy and makes me happy. And to wrap this up is this. Don't you know how excited and happy God is when we are humble with each other because there was humility. And, and when we ask one another to forgive each other, we don't write each other off. We might get short with each other. Luke had had the world beat him up that week. And many of you have had the world beat you up throughout the week. And you know what Luke needed was he needed a family to come around him. And so do you. You need a family, a family of God to come around you. And we want to help you with that. To me, that's the greatest work of art I've ever seen. And it is so special to me. And it's so special to the heart of God when we love each other in that kind of philostorge kind of way, a genuine love. Amen. The world needs to see that. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Father, today, this morning, I want to just thank you, Lord, for your word. I want to thank you for, Lord, the correction, the exhortation and admonishment that it brings in our lives. God, I pray that we would be a church that is known for loving each other. I pray that we would not be so turned, our focus so turned inward towards our own individual needs that we miss our brother or our sister sitting across the aisle or sitting in front of us, the needs that they have in their life to, for someone to come alongside them and to, to love on them, to listen to them, to encourage them, to maybe even meet needs physically if necessary. Lord, we want to be that kind of church. There may be some of you that you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You can call on Him to be your Savior and become a part of the family of God. That's why Jesus came. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to be your Savior. Believe on Him in faith. He died for your sins. He paid for your sins. If you call on Him, He will save you. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this time of worship we have experienced in your presence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.